Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by TBA rabbinic intern Nico Losarelli. Last weekend, my partner Eli and I took a trip to just get away for the weekend to reset and stop the clock and take some time out and to get some fresh air. We chose Denver, Colorado somewhat randomly because we had wanted to go to Colorado for a while and it just looked so beautiful in every picture I had seen. And something about it was just calling me. That's all there was to it. And we had some friends there, so we went. And we were hosted by our two wonderful friends, Ben and Grace, in their beautiful home amidst the trees, snow, and elk. Now, we had had this uh, trip planned for weeks and in my mind, we were going to Denver, the city of Denver, Colorado, And when we landed at the Denver airport, Ben and Grace picked us up and drove us to their picturesque home, which was not in Denver. It was in a beautiful mountain town outside of Denver, a beautiful mountain town called Evergreen. It's called Evergreen because of the beautiful evergreen trees that grow there. So broadly speaking, there are two types of trees uh, that we all know. Deciduous trees, they're the kind that lose their leaves and giving way to fiery reds, oranges, and yellows that you find all over New England and New York. And then there are evergreen trees, trees that stay green year-round through the deepest of cold and the deepest of darkness. This wonderful town of evergreen is full of many kind and generous people, full of beautiful mountains, foliage, animals, snow, rocks to climb. But what stood out about the place, to me, was the dignity of it. The dignity of a life that still says, work hard, make an honest living, And you can have a house, you can have a family, work-life balance. You can stand a chance. You can have the dignity of the American dream. The week before we left, uh, I I had never heard of the town of Evergreen. And Rabbi Cantor Chorney and I met for our weekly mentor-mentee meeting to talk about this drosh that I'm giving right now. I'd expressed perplexity at how to write a drosh for today for the difficult and horrific historical moment that we're going through. Under normal circumstances, writing a drosh with some kind of staying power at least a week would be more than doable. But what we are experiencing right now is anything but normal, it seems. Would the war still be happening? Would there be hostages released? Would there, God forbid, be another attack? If so, how do I make sure that I can respond to the changing circumstances to give the Torah that the moment calls for? I thought maybe I should use a few core texts and write three or four outlines just to be prepared. And yet, how could I possibly predict what was going to happen on the day that I'm giving this drosh? How does one do that? And then Rabbi Cantor Chorney gave me this advice. Make your drosh evergreen. Make your drosh evergreen. If that isn't kismet, I really don't know what is. Okay, make your drosh evergreen. How does one do that? How does one do that? I can almost hear in the voice of the Gemara. Okay, first off, what does evergreen mean? One, having foliage that remains green and functional through more than one growing season, like the trees of evergreen Colorado. Or two, which is more relevant to what Rabbi Cantatorni was telling me, retaining freshness or interest, universally and continually relevant, and not limited in applicability to a particular event or date. In other words, a universal message. Amid the tumult and the strife of this war, though I haven't been at a loss for words, I have been at a loss for the right words, of which seemingly there are none, let alone universal words. 
But thank goodness we have the familiar words of the story of Hanukkah to draw on in this moment. And the miracle of the Hanukkah oil is probably one of the best-known facts about Judaism. We know the story with the brave, with brave Judah Maccabee and his army, how he fought off the evil forces of the Greek Antiochus, who took the temple, and found there was only one provision of oil left sealed with the seal of the high priest, indicating that it hadn't been touched by the Greek forces and was therefore usable. The oil that should have lasted for one day lasted for eight days while they were making more oil. It was a miracle. The story we know is somewhat the story of legends. It's a combination of what is mentioned in Masechet Shabbat, which itself references this other work, Megillat Tanit, which is a document that commemorates 35 different military victories during the Second Telpa period. Uh, and also we have what is recounted in Chapter 4 of the apocryphal first book of Maccabees. Apocryphal meaning it's not in our main canon. Uh, and it seems to be a little bit different every time the story is retold. And as with many holidays, we follow the pattern of they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. So we make delicious oily foods like sufganiyot, alatkas, or, or fried tacos, which I like to do, and so much more. And we like the Hanukkah, the special menorah with nine spots for candles, as opposed to the temple menorah with seven spots for candles. For now, we'll just keep saying menorah. Tonight, we'll be lighting our third candle on our menorahs at home. Most of us will be using candles, and some of us will be using oil. And when you're performing the mitzvah of lighting the Hanukkah candles, both are great. But it might interest you to know that when we're using oil, we're not actually allowed to use just any oil. The Babylonian Talmud specifically says in Masechah Shabbat that when deciding what to use to light the Hanukkah menorah, that shemen zayit hamufchal, olive oil, is the most select. And a statement is given that is attributed to Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi saying, The light of the olive oil is clearer. Okay. I have a lot of questions, but there isn't much else it says about olive oil. Even over in Masechet Menachot, where there's this long discussion on grades of olive oil, and Rashi is relatively silent on it, so are the Tosafot and the Rambam, basically says the same thing as the Gemara, probably because in Vayikra it just says, Tzavet b'nei Yisrael v'yichu elecha shemen zait zach. Command the Israelite people to bring you clear oil beaten olives for lighting uh, and for kindling lamps regularly, al on the pure lampstand. Okay, great. So, this oil lights our homes, it lights our stoves, it lights our bellies, but aside from being great for lighting and great for cooking and great for keeping warm, why olive oil? Why not canola oil or, I don't know, vegetable oil or, I don't know, coconut oil or something like that? The Torah specifically says olive oil. So what makes olive oil so special? Well, olive oil, as you know, comes from olive trees. (laughs) Olive trees are relatively ubiquitous to the Mediterranean region, so they're pretty common. And the olive branch is a symbol of peace. It's a symbol of the waters of the flood receding in Parshat Noach. It's a symbol of new beginnings. It's a symbol of something new from something very old. Some of the most ancient olive trees are anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000 years old. Think of that, 4,000 years old. Some of these trees have seen the rise and fall of civilizations and empires, ancient Egypt, the Assyrians, the Romans, the Persian Empire, the Ottomans, and the forming of the modern state of Israel, and yet they remain steadfast in in their dignity in the land, sending watch over humankind through the coldest and darkest of times. 
The Hanukkah menorah, which has the appearance of the tree itself with its branches, graces the official emblem of the state of Israel, and is also surrounded by olive branches, which is a bit uh, evocative of our our Haftarah this week that was so um, beautifully read by Natalie. Thank you. These symbols are, are so powerful because of their themes of national rededication. And, and were almost obvious symbols for Zionism in the state of Israel. But it is a little unexpected that this emblem of the state of Israel is the Temple Menorah, which most, most of us associate with Hanukkah, which is technically a minor holiday. This is something we hear every year. So why not a shofar? Why not the sea splitting? Well, as it turns out, in 1948, there was a competition for artists to design the emblem of the state of Israel. One design included Jacob's Ladder against the backdrop of the Tablets of the Ten Commandments, Another featured the bejeweled breastplate of the high priest, and others featured lions of Judah and even ibexes, all of which were possibilities. There's a world in which maybe these exist, I don't know. But they were all eventually rejected. All of those designs fell short of the emblem we have today, which, were des- which was designed by graphic designers Gabriel and Maxime Shamir. None of those designs resonated quite like the Shamir brothers' design of the menorah surrounded by olive branches. So why is that? So let's take the story in chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Maccabees, again, an apocryphal work. King Antiochus Epiphanes, also known as Antiochus IV, I'll just keep saying Antiochus, comes to power. He seized the temple, and he plundered it. And a little while later, there was a contingent of Jews who fled to the wilderness to live in accordance with Torah, away from the persecution of Antiochus. Antiochus then commanded his officers to go and attack them on Shabbat. They refused to fight back and were slain. Matatyahu, father of the famous Judah Maccabee, heard of this and decided that if they were to be attacked again on Shabbat, they would fight back. Then what follows is what we talked about just a moment ago, the retaking and rededication of the temple and the miracle of the oil. Now, the the phrase that is probably in a lot of our minds right now is, oh, well, of course, bikuach nefesh, the saving of a life. It's this idea that on Shabbat or Chag, when, when given the opportunity to save someone's life, you can override the laws of Shabbat and Chag. And you're right. It is Pikuach Nefesh. Because we are called to live by the laws of Torah, not, not die by them. Chai And this story is, in fact, one of the earliest articulations of the idea of Pikuach Nefesh. However, it seems like there's an added element now, now as it was then. Because, I don't know about you, but I often think of Pikuach Nefesh in terms of medical emergencies or imminent danger, God forbid, or of one or a few people. But this moment is so much larger in scale than that. It really feels like Hanukkah. Like we're living in chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Maccabees because we're in a moment in Israel and the world where we are fighting for a dignity to live, the right to keep the dream of the Jewish national home a reality, and both to survive and thrive. And so the symbol of the Hanukkah menorah as an expression of Jewish survival and thriving feels as real then as it does now. And so we publicize the miracle of, the Hanuk- of, of Hanukkah by displaying our menorahs, much like the Maccabees did then when they relit the temple menorah. And we light its lights with candles, or as the Talmud says, with olive oil. So, again, what makes olive oil so special? Well, olive oil, as I said earlier, comes from olive trees. <laughs> which are ancient and deeply rooted in the land. And with their leaves, they absorb light and convert it into energy. Even during the darkest times and throughout the year, the trees never lose their leaves. Because as it just so happens, olive trees are evergreen. 
All the trees are connected to the land of Israel, and they never stop absorbing light. And thus, the olive of the olive, the oil of the olive tree has the unique power to cast that clearest of light that the Torah and the Talmud demand. As we light our menorahs this Hanukkah, I want to remind I want us to remind ourselves that just as the olive tree has stood through empire after empire, so have we. Just as our ancestors have lit a light in the face of darkness, so too do we. And just as the olive tree is evergreen, so are we. And just as we always have, we are struggling to make the right choices every day and to find the right words, but we can and we will. Because we are evergreen, absorbing light and reflecting it back out into the world. So amidst all of these words, I want to offer us this hope. As bearers of this light, may our light burn bright and be a reminder to both ourselves and to the nations that this truth is evergreen. In the face of darkness, we can and we must cast a light. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.